Now, we're going to jump straight into the message today. I'm really excited about this message, and I want to start with a question to you. What makes you uncomfortable? Of all the different situations you can get in, what makes you uncomfortable? I'll tell you one thing that makes me uncomfortable, Halloween. I am not a dude that wants to dress up and get, you know, all the paint and mask and all those things on. Well, last night, Knox is Spider-Man. He's running around doing the trick-or-treating and all that. I'm out on that. I stayed in the vehicle the whole night because I just don't, it gets kind of creeps me out. Let me tell you what else makes me uncomfortable is being stuck in close confinement, claustrophobia. I I don't like being jammed close to other people. I was a social distancer before it was cool. Why? Because I don't want people close to me. I hate being cramped. Splunking will never be one of my hobbies. And I saw this video a while back that was absolutely dreadful to me. It would make me uncomfortable. Now we're going to go ahead and start playing this video and I'm going to commentate. If you do not know, the Japanese subway system is completely overwhelmed. They do not have enough public transportation. And you will see these gentlemen in a in uniforms right here. And you see these people, try, this dude right here, he can't help himself. He has to wedge himself in there. Now, what's interesting is that these gentlemen in the suits, are their only job is to force people into this subway car. Now, they're, they're not kidding around. They're going to use their full body weight. There's no way that woman is going to fit in that car, but he's going, to, <laughs> he's going to make her fit. He's pushing the purses and the bags. They're, I mean, they're putting their whole body weight in. This guy's looking to see if he can fit in there somehow. I don't get it. This is awesome. I love this. Watching it. I would hate being there. He's just straight up there. That is insane to me. Now, I, I'm just going to go out on the limb and say that most of us would be uncomfortable. <laughs> He's going to get his hand stuck. Pushes it shut. I imagine most of us would be uncomfortable in that situation. That is not something, you guys go ahead and stop that video. That is not something that you and I would want to be a part of. Now, the only reason why those people are submitting themselves to that discomfort is because they need to get to work. And they are willing to embrace the discomfort because of the payoff. They're willing to embrace the discomfort because they have somewhere they need to get to. And I think there's a lesson that the church needs to learn. We are on a journey and we are going somewhere. And in our culture today, people have questions and opinions that they are asking the church that makes us uncomfortable. And we're going to have to embrace that discomfort if we intend to bring people along for the journey. If we are going to take people in today's world and we are going to lead them to Jesus and we're going to bring them along the journey of discipleship, then we are going to have to embrace being uncomfortable as believers and answering questions that make us uncomfortable. And that's what this entire series is about. We are going to be answering some uncomfortable questions and looking at some uncomfortable topics in this series. Now, the last week of this series is going to be November 22nd. And we're going to do a live Q&A from the platform. If you were here last year, you remember that I did this, and we are going to do it again. And so you will be able to send your questions anonymously to a website if you go to pollev.com slash jfirst. That's P-O-L-L-E-V dot com slash jfirst, all spelled out 
uh, and you will see a place where you can submit your questions there. Those questions will be anonymous. No one's going to be able to see them. They're moderated, uh, and so you'll see them live. And on that Sunday, I'm going to answer as many of those as possible. Now, here's, here's the truth. I'm going to be trying to do my best to answer those from a biblical perspective because you don't need my opinion. You need to know what the Scripture has to say. And the reality is, as a minister, sometimes I'm answering questions you do not have, and then other times I am not answering the questions you do have. And so this format allows us to spend some time to answer those biblical questions that you may or may not have. You can ask it about uh, current events. You can ask them about just different Bible questions you've had over the years. Whatever you want, you are able to submit those questions online, and we will answer those. You will also be able to submit on the day of. Now, we are going to talk about a subject today that is at the forefront of our culture in 2020. What's interesting about today's topic is that I knew I was going to talk about this topic uh, in this season all the way back at the beginning of the year. And what I did not know at the beginning of the year was going to be the trajectory of our nation and our culture. And we are going to be discussing the issue of racism. If you are Unless you're living under a rock, you understand that 2020 has been a year of racial tension in the United States following the death of George Floyd on May 25th of this year. And the events that have transpired since his death are just really difficult to even begin to wrap our mind around. There have been a wide array of responses to this event, as you are all aware of. Some have been very calculated. Some have been very reasonable responses uh, with peaceful protests and calls for change. And then there has been the other side of the equation, which is extreme responses in, in riots and looting and just general mayhem. You have had on one side of the equation, police officers who have stood up and condemned this action uh, against George Floyd. And then on the other side, in the other extreme, you have people who just flat do not care. And you've had a mixed bag of responses. Now, just even talking about this subject uh, today, we all have to be aware that this is going to be uncomfortable because we are are potentially stepping on a landmine. As a communicator standing up here, you have to understand that this is going to be a little bit interesting because the opinions and the tension surrounding these topics is just to the 10th level. So I'm going to ask for your forgiveness in advance if I say something that would be incorrect politically. And I'm also going to ask that you just bear with me as we struggle through this this morning because this is an issue that I truly believe the church can be the answer to. This is an issue that I think the church can lead the way on. And when we get a proper foundation from the scriptures, we can be the solution and we can point to the solution is ultimately Jesus Christ. I imagine that a lot of us in this room have difficulty because we love Jesus and we want to follow Jesus and we just don't know how to respond to the things that we are seeing unfold before our eyes. Now we as a church have discussed how believers are to approach cultural tensions in society with the hope of Jesus, but we haven't dived necessarily into the specifics of an issue like racism. And so that's how we're going to do that. Now, as a note, I do want to tell you the structure of this message is a little bit different. Uh, if you're used to coming here, you know that I preach from the Bible, meaning I start with my scripture verse very early in my message, and then we build upon that and we, we dissect that passage. However, this message is going to be a little bit different because I need to preach to the Bible, and very rarely do I do that, but sometimes the message dictates that. So as we approach the subject of racism today, we're trying to do several things. First, we're trying to frame the problem. Second, we're trying to see how the gospel is the solution. And third, we're trying to address practically what our responsibilities are as believers. 
Now, when I say frame the issue, you have to understand that I cannot address every single nuance when it comes to the racial tension in America. I'm not qualified to speak to those issues, and frankly, I'd be speaking from ignorance. Rather, when I say frame the problem, what I'm looking at is the issue from the standpoint of how Christianity and the scriptures specifically can be a solution to that problem. The reason why we are focusing on those issues as Christians is because that's a place that we can actually make a difference. Because God has called us to be holy, set apart for the glory of God. And so while we can't address every nuance, we can address certain aspects that the Bible speaks to. I want to read you a scripture. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says this, so God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created them Male and female, he created them. The Lord in his wisdom created some of his children black, some of his children brown, some of his children white, and some of his children olive, and everything in between. And we are children to the king to reflect the glory of God into this world. We are children of the king to reflect living in harmony with one another especially people who might look different from us into this world. And so I want to start by framing this issue of racism the best that I can see it from my seat. Let's begin all the way back in the beginning. 1776, the founding of our nation. And our nation from the beginning suffered from the effects of racism in the form of slavery. And if you study history at all, they called it the fire bell in the night. We knew that this was going to be an issue that was going to cause problems for our nation. And from 1776 to 1863, when President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, slavery was the way of life for literally millions of people. And we're going to shut the lights off for dramatic effect this morning, right? Literally, oh, here it comes back on. If I had something really, you know, cool to say right there, that'd be perfect, but I don't, so we're going to keep going. Literally millions of people were under the bondage of slavery for no other reason than for the greed on the part of a wealthy owner. The, the, the just horrific lifestyle of slavery was brought forth to light by a man, primarily by the name of Solomon Northrup, who was a free man in the North who was kidnapped and sold into slavery for 12 years of his life. He wrote a book, his memoirs, and recently there was a movie, 12 Years a Slave, uh, for both of those titles. Slavery was a horrible period in American history, and an estimated 3 million slaves were in possession up at 1863 when Lincoln signed that proclamation. And if you know anything about that proclamation, initially when he signed it, literally nothing changed for most of the slaves because they were in the South. And so racism in the form of slavery was one of the primary factors to the American Civil War, which 620,000 men lost their lives. More souls were lost in the American Civil War than America has lost in the American Revolution, the War of 1812, the Spanish-American War, both world wars, Korean War, uh, and the war in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. And so as you can see, this was a serious fight uh, by the best figures that we have. When you count the wounded and the captured, there was some 1.5 million casualties in the Civil War, fought in large part over the issue of slavery. 
And even after the Civil War, our nation faced racial divides, and many people were still under oppression in this country under the Jim Crow laws and segregation. In our recent history, our country has made large strides during the Civil Rights Movement under the leadership of Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and the such. However, from my perspective, and again, this is just my perspective trying to lay a foundation so we can get to the Scriptures, there was a shift that took place on August 9th of 2014. And on that day, a man by the name of Michael Brown was shot by the police after he robbed a convenience store. And the narrative that came out of that event had made a shift in our culture that we are still feeling today. And it seems like every time we turn around, that tension is just getting more and more tense. I remember very clearly that day and the chaos that ensued, as I'm sure many of you have. Now, here's where I'm going to get very uh, transparent, and, and I hope you respect that. Again, just trying to lay the foundation. I, in 2014, I was struggling to understand why there was still racial tension in our country. After everything that we went through, what is the root of this racial tension? I, I, I had not experienced that in my own life. I had not grown up seeing that and witnessing that with my eyes. As a small child, I grew up in a community that was very diverse. The racial diversity in the area where I grew up was considerably higher than the national average. When I was going through grade school, it, it, at my age, it seemed like the diversity was almost 50-50, uh, and I had lots of friends of color. I have two black uncles, and they're the only family I ever really see. Our country at the time in 2014 had a black president. Uh, I had many black students in my youth group, and, and the kids just all got along. And so in 2014, I, I'm sitting here struggling, scratching my head, saying, I don't see the problem. My experience had been one where I had not witnessed many of the things that I was seeing in the news. And so there was a gentleman in our church who, who has a lot of wisdom, and he, he was a very smart man. He grew up in a military home. He was a businessman. He had seen a lot of the world, and, and he was a black man, a very articulate, smart man, a man who had my respect. And so uh, with his diverse background, I called him up and I said, I need you to explain this to me because I'm struggling to understand it, and, and I'm just not going to pull any punches, and I'm going to ask you the questions that I've had my entire life, and I need some help to see this. And he was very gracious, and he sat down with me, and he, and, and he began to explain some different things. And I went through all the things I just told you. I, man, when I was a kid, we all played together. And, and I have kids in my youth group, and everybody's getting along, and we got a, a, a black president. And I just don't see it. Help me to understand what's going on. I said, I don't feel like people are lying. I said, I don't think people are making this stuff up. I just, I don't understand. The next several hours of conversation literally changed my entire perspective on the situation. And he started out by saying something that I will never forget. He said, look, he said, a true racist is someone who hates someone else simply by the color of their skin. He said, there are some of those people out there. There are some true racists, but there's not a lot of them. And they're few and far between. And there's nothing you're going to do about them anyways. And there's no reason to get worked up over them. He went on to tell me that in his opinion, true racists were not creating the problems that we were seeing in the United States. The problems were running in a different vein. And he said, I believe the result of a lot of the tension we see today is not pure racism, but rather it's racial bias. And he went on to explain to me what he felt racial bias meant. 
And as he explained this to me, the light bulb clicked for me personally. And I'm sitting there in this restaurant listening to him talk. And I said, this is it. This is the thing that no one seems to be able to articulate in our culture. I think this man's onto something. I think he's right. And it made sense to me personally. He explained racial bias to me. He said, racial bias is a set of beliefs and assumptions about someone else of the opposite race or culture that affects how you interact with that person. Racial bias basically says, I have these beliefs and these assumptions about you because you're different to me and I don't know you. I've never had any interaction with you. And if we're all honest and we start to think about how we interact with other people, we have bias towards all types of people. Some of those biases are based on stereotypes. Some are based on personal interactions we've had in the past. For example, I'm wearing jeans and boots this morning. I bet if I took a poll and asked you what you thought my favorite genre of music is, I bet most people say country music, when in fact I hate country music. Okay? <laughs> I just like jeans and I like boots, right? I like classical music a lot. Probably didn't see that coming, did you? Because I don't sound sophisticated when I talk, you know? Why would there be a bias in that direction? Because jeans and boots are oftentimes associated with country music. I just want to do a practice and an exercise. I want you to sit there. I want you to think for just a second. I'm just going to say some things. What do you think about when you see a guy wearing skinny jeans? First thoughts that come into your mind. What do you think about when you see someone who's overweight? What do you see when, and think about when you see somebody in a suit and a tie? What do you think about when you see a woman walking down the street carrying an axe? What do you think when you see a man walking down the street yelling at other people? Now, that doesn't mean that all your assumptions are negative. But if you see a man walking down the street in a suit and tie, your assumption is going to be he's a businessman. Your assumption is not going to be he's going to go pour concrete. Why? Because that's not what you see. Because somebody wearing a suit pour concrete? Of, of course. But that's not been the normal interaction of someone that you have met in the construction trade. If you see a man wearing Carhartts, you think that right there is a man who does labor. If you see a woman walking down the street in a wedding dress, your assumption would be she's going to get married or she's running away from a wedding. Either way, <laughs> a wedding is involved. Here's the point. Our brains, when we look at other people, are wired in such a way that we are trying to process information. And when we see people, we're trying to fill in the gaps. And so we start to fill in those gaps with assumptions and bias. This is normal and natural. There's nothing inherently wrong with this other than we need to be aware of the potential downside to it. Thoughts are our biases. Assumptions and beliefs are about people we don't know. Now, the problem is that all of us make assumptions based strictly off of how people look. When we don't know them, we have nothing else to work with. So we just start making assumptions. Again, going back to the wedding dress thing. I don't know who this person is, but I'm assuming that a wedding is involved in this. When you make assumptions, you start to react to people in certain ways. Now, in my studies, I've heard several African-American men whom I trust, whom I respect, say that they could walk down the street in a suit and tie, and if they walk by a woman, that she will hold her purse tighter. Now, is this woman a racist? No. 
Does she have a bias that makes her assume that a black man is more dangerous and therefore she should be more on guard than a white man? Perhaps. The reality is that every one of us have bias. Now understand, here's what I'm saying. I'm not pointing this out to make us feel bad. Uh, You're not a bad person for having bias. That's just part of our hard wiring. What we need to do is we need to be aware of those biases that we experience in our life. Look at the, we'll point some of this out here in a moment, some more of these nuances, but sometimes we even have biases towards people who are in our own race. This is not a strictly racial thing. We're all in this boat together. White people, black people, Asian people, Hispanic people, we all have bias. Now, false assumptions are always based off of fear and the unknown. The truth is, and here's the facts, many of us and many people don't have any interaction with someone who looks different or is a different culture than what we see on TV. Particularly in the Midwest, sections of communities tend to be the same race by and large. And so our interaction with someone who looks different than us or is from a different culture is only what we experience and what we see on TV. TV is our only interaction with someone from a different race, and this creates a problem because social media and traditional media tend to feed our false assumptions and bias because media always selects extremes. This goes for all races of people. How many shows? is the black man the funny character in that show? How many shows where the lead is a female and she's blonde? How many shows where the hero is a retired Navy SEAL? Those those narratives feed a bias. And this gets worse because in real life, the news also helps feed the bias. If you watch the news, it will not be long before you hear such phrases as Black Lives Matter, the African-American prison population, hands up, don't shoot, and black on black crime. All of those phrases feed a narrative. So in our analogy a moment ago, if you're a white woman and you're walking down the street and the only interactions you've ever had with a black man is the news, and the news tells you that the African-American population is 12% of the United States but makes up 37% of the prison population, then you, all you ever hear is black-on-black crime, then you're probably going to hold your purse tighter. Because the only thing the news has ever told you is, is that, that black men are dangerous to you. If you're a black man, you get pulled over by the cops, and the only interaction you've ever had with the cops is on the news, and all the things that you hear on the news is hands up, don't shoot, and that white cops shoot unarmed black men, aren't you going to be more nervous when you get pulled over? Absolutely. Both of those are instances of extremism, and yet every single one of us, when we watch the news, we've seen all of those things play out. We've seen those biases being fed by the things that are being propagated across media. Media never covers the millions and millions of millions of young black men who never go to prison. The media never covers the millions of cops who don't shoot unarmed black people. Why? Because none of that makes them money. And we need to be aware of that. I mean, I'll tell you, I struggle with assumption of bias in my own life. Had a friend who wore skinny jeans a lot. And I was like, dude, if you pulled over and I had a flat tire, you can't change a tire. 
He's wearing skinny jeans. And he said, I can change a tire. No kidding. That dude had a flat tire about six months later, and he called me on a Sunday afternoon and said, how do I change a tire? I had to help him. Now, here's the deal. I think if we went around the room this morning, I think most people would be willing to say, you know, that makes some sense to me. I, I, do, I do have some assumptions about other people that I interact with. I, I probably do have some bias. And I, I think that it's safe to say that those biases can and do affect our interaction from time to time. Does that make someone a racist person? I, I don't believe so. However, while recognizing the problem, it doesn't fix the problem. And recognizing a problem only allows us to address the problem. So what is the solution to racism and racial tension in our country? And the answer has always been the same thing, and that is the message of Jesus Christ. The gospel message is the solution to racial tension in the United States. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, very common passage. We like to focus on the front half, but we don't focus on the back half. And it's really relevant for today's message. Romans 1, 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The gospel message is the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we explain it all the time, if there's good news, that must mean there's bad news. And what's the bad news? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, deserving the penalty of our sins, which is death. A righteous and just God must punish sin. And that punishment is a physical and a spiritual death in a place called hell. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that he came and lived the righteous life that you and I could not live. And he died the death that you and I owe on the cross so that we could be raised to a new life. And when we put our faith in him as Lord and Savior. He wraps us in his righteousness. His blood covers our debt of death, and we have hope of the resurrection. That is the gospel message. Now, what's so powerful about the cross of Jesus Christ is that it is the solution for every problem facing humanity, including racial tension. It should be noted that the apostle is saying that the gospel message is the power of God, first for the Jews and then for the Greeks. What he's saying is your social and your racial background doesn't matter. The gospel message can save every single person. And here's what this teaches us, that racism is always a result of the decay of the human heart due to sin. Anytime you see racism, particularly in the extremes, it's a decay of the human heart. It's a decay of human nature as a result of sin. We know what sin is. In Genesis 3, we see it entered into the world. Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit. God shows up. And what do Adam and Eve start doing? They start blaming each other and they get into a fight. And what this shows us is not only did sin cause a rift between us and God, but sin also caused division between humanity. So we should not be surprised that we have these problems. It's interesting, the very next chapter, in chapter 4, Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel. The first recorded sin is eating the forbidden fruit. The second is murder. That escalated quickly. You turn to chapters 5 and 6, we're introduced to Noah, and by that point, the whole earth is full of violence to the point that God floods and starts over. Our hearts decay quickly, don't they? Now, don't miss this. Sin causes division among humanity. Any racial issues that we have in America are not due to a political party, 
It's not due to some systemic idea or issue. Any racial issues we have in this world are a direct result of sin in the heart of humanity. It's important to see this truth because if we ignore the real racial issues in our hearts and we're ignoring an, a, a poison that will slowly decay our spiritual health. But again, acknowledging isn't enough. We, we have to know the source of the problem because if we're going to try to heal the heart, then we have to find a real solution. And the gospel message is that solution. And if we're trying to apply anything other than the gospel message to the issue, then we're committing spiritual malpractice. The gospel will fix any problem that humanity has, including this one. Now, let me show you how we know that the gospel fixes the racial issues. Revelation chapter number seven, starting in verse number nine, says this. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with loud voices, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me and saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know, he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. And the first book of the Bible, we see the image of how sin destroyed people's relationships with God and destroyed their relationship with one another. And in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, John is giving us a, a picture of how everything is going to end. John the Revelator sees a vision of heaven and he sees a multitude of people that he cannot count. And that sentence is, is, is important to grasp because in another part of Revelations, he can count up to 250 million. And so this, this number of people is massive. It's a massive amount of people. And yet this group is just a, a small percentage of those in heaven. And what's interesting about this group is it says it came from every tribe and every tongue. And here's what this teaches us about race and the gospel message is that God created one race, and that is the human race. We are different in our looks by God's design. However, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that every person who has ever lived and ever created is in the image of God. We are to reflect the image of God. Read it to you a moment ago in Genesis 1. I want to read you another passage in Genesis 9 verses 5 through 7. God's speaking to Noah and he says, if murder happens, here's the result. He says, and for you, lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I'll require it, and from every man. 
For his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of the man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Every life has value because every life reflects the nature of God and the glory of God. We are created in the image of God. The gospel message is about God redeeming people, adopting them as sons and daughters into the family and making them the family of God. This is very important to understand. The color of your skin does not determine your birthright. And the color of your skin does not determine your image. The gospel determines your birthright. And the gospel restores your image as a child of God. So fundamentally, the gospel message is not just about redeeming people to God, but it's about redeeming people to one another. We see God had to teach this principle over and over again to the early believers. We do not have time to dive into all the details this morning, but I want to give you something to study when you get home. The 12 disciples, the 12 original apostles, rather, were all Jews, and Jews in first century Israel detested anybody who was non-Jewish. You see this throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter number 8, the Holy Spirit falls upon the Samaritans, and the church had to send some representatives down there because they're not sure they're even saved yet. They weren't sure if they wanted to welcome them in. You turn to Acts chapter number 10, and God had to send Peter a vision, not one time, but three times, encouraging him to go preach to non-Jews. Throughout the New Testament, there was a big debate on how Jewish the church needed to be and needed to make the Gentiles. Since Christ rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit has been drawing believers from all ethnic backgrounds, all different colors of skin together to be and form the bride of Christ. And one day we're all going to stand before the throne singing in every tribe and tongue. The gospel message is the only hope to eradicate any sort of racial division or racial bias in our country. Why? Because when the gospel message penetrates the heart, it starts to eradicate the sin from my heart and brings me into faith. And when I'm in Christ, I'm in the family of God and I see brothers and sisters. It's really interesting. I wasn't going to go down this road, but I am going to go down this road. One thing that shows us the oddity to why there would ever be racial division is that we all look different. Some of you are like, I'm so glad I don't look like Austin. That would be terrible. You know, we all look different. I have like brown and now gray hair. <laughs> the gray is coming on strong. All right, Lucas is over there like shaking his head. Thank you for affirming me. I feel a lot better about myself. Some people have blonde hair. Some people have red hair. Some people have black hair. But yet we don't distinguish ourselves by that. Some people have blue eyes. Some people have green eyes. Some people have brown eyes. Some people have black eyes. We don't distinguish ourselves by that. It's kind of interesting how this one thing is kind of the thing that rises to the surface. And yet what we know is that God loves people of all different types. And so we need to be careful. And we need to look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's kind of tie all this together. Practically, what should the church do? I hope this morning that we see that biases and assumptions can drive people apart when not properly examined. Those divisions 
are rooted in the flaw of all humanity and sin, and the gospel message cures the heart, which allows us to be brothers and sisters. So practically, how do we flesh that out? What is this gospel message we've been talking about calling us to do as brothers and sisters? When we listen to the news or we hear of the different things getting thrown out, you know, white privilege, affirmative action, systemic racism, all these things, those are issues that probably none of us are going to be able to address in rural America, and we probably all have different opinions anyways. So what is the average Christian, the Christ-honoring brother and sister, supposed to do for their other brothers and sisters? What is a Christian response to the racial tension that we are feeling in our country? I want to give you some suggestions. Seek out Christ-honoring relationships with someone outside your circle. See, relationships erase bias and give new perspective. In our day, our biases are largely formed by the TV. So let's get away from the screen and get into real life. Not, let's not listen to the talking heads on TV anymore. And let's talk to real people and see what real people have experienced in life. The great thing about the church is that the church will bring you in contact with people who are from completely different walks of life than you are. There's no other organization on the planet that can bring people from such diverse backgrounds as the church. So let's seize the opportunity and learn from others. What's the Christian response to the racial tension? Here's another idea. Don't allow political antics to cause you to be jaded towards others. We just have to, we talk about an elephant in the room. We have to say something that's incredibly painfully obvious that probably no one wants to say, but I'm going to say it. In our culture, everyone, particularly the talking heads, are launching grenades by saying inflammatory rhetoric and is starting to make people jaded. If you're a black man and all you hear about is black on black violence, wouldn't that make you jaded? If you're a white person, all you hear is white silence is white violence. Wouldn't that make you jaded? The gospel calls us to a higher level of thinking. And as mature believers, we have to be careful not to allow the political rhetoric to cause us to become jaded towards other people. All these are shots over the bow to make people angry at one another, to try to prove a point. And as Christians, we're not to prove a point. We're to be self-sacrificing. And so we have to be careful not to allow the rhetoric to cause us to become jaded. What is the Christian response to racial tension we see? Here's another idea. Let's give some grace and let's give some room for wonder. Here's what I mean by that. Charity and I, you guys might not know this, but Charity and I were very, very close to adopting a little girl several years ago. And she was a biracial little girl and we were her caretakers for a while. And if you haven't noticed, we're a pretty white family. And so we would go to the store and I had a lot of fun because I like watching people. I like analyzing people. And we would go to the store, and it was awesome to watch people try to figure out what was going on. You know, because here we are, three of us, we're very white, and then she wasn't. And, and so people are just looking, 
White people, black people, it didn't matter. Everybody was just looking. I remember, I remember there's these two people, they were at McDonald's, and uh, they happened to be black people sitting there ordering, and they looked over, and they're like, and they talked to each other, just looking like, now, wait a second, this doesn't, this, this, this doesn't work. How did this happen? And you know what? That was, that was fun to watch. Wouldn't we do the same thing? Of course. Why? Because we wonder. We are curious. And curiosity shouldn't be offensive. It's okay for people to wonder about things. All those things work out. Let's leave room for wondering to overcome a negative bias. What's a Christian response to racial tension? Let's live out the gospel message so passionately that social justice organizations lose market share. Unfortunately, a lot of social justice organizations are anti-Christ in their core ideologies. And those beliefs make it very difficult for Christians to support different organizations. Here's the thing, though. If the church sets the tone and the pace presenting the hope of Jesus Christ, then we would steal market share from immoral organizations. The church has a responsibility to show the earth what heaven will be like. We just read that heaven is made up of people from every tribe and every tongue, every language, worshiping one king. Furthermore, the church has a responsibility to point people to the solution, and every solution for every problem is always Jesus Christ. And every problem is rooted in the sick heart. Jesus is always the answer. So no organization is ever going to fix that. Only Jesus is the solution. And we need more brothers and sisters sharing the love of Jesus Christ. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. Every message I preach, I always ask the question, what's the response to this message? What's the response to the message? Many times the answer to that question is calling people to respond in prayer. So we give altar calls and we call people to come pray. Say, hey, allow the Lord to deal with your heart in this situation. But I'm not sure that this is one of those messages. The response for us is more intentional in how we live out everyday life. It causes us to reflect what's here and then be intentional to live out a response. Here's the reality as Christians. We need to remember whose name we bear and we need to reflect or view our own hearts and see are we reflecting his name properly in this world. Do we have biases? Simple question. Do we have biases that affect how we interact with other people? And again, the the point isn't for condemnation. The point is awareness. And the answer, regardless of the color of your skin, is probably, yeah, there probably are some biases there. So we have to start asking ourselves, how am I interacting with people? What are the things I dwell on? What are the things I say? Here's a big one. How am I representing myself? Social media? And am I reflecting my bias or am I reflecting Jesus? So my challenge for us this morning is this. This is a message we have to live out in everyday life because I don't know if you've looked around, but I don't know we can do what we've been doing for much longer. Not just in this room, but as a country, 
Sooner or later, something has to give. There's an old expression, nature abhors vacuum. Right now, there's been a leadership vacuum when it comes to racial reconciliation. No one seems to be leading the way to fixing the problem. Instead, the response just seems to be more anger, more venom towards other people. And church, this is one area that we can very easily fix. Of all the problems that are facing the world and humanity, this is the one thing that the church should naturally be able to give the solution to. Why? Because we're family. Say it all the time. And you know what's really interesting about that expression? Is that this pandemic has kind of forced me to just watch other churches more. I mean, I think we probably all have. Everybody's putting their services online, so we see more of them. I did not know this. I legitimately did not know this until a week or so, I mean, until this pandemic in the last six months. How many churches use that vernacular about being family? When I sat down and was just praying, and I've told you guys this many times, Lord, what, what do you call me to do as a pastor? Felt like he laid those five values that we talk about all the time on my heart. One of them was family. It's kind of interesting that all these churches, and maybe they all got together and I was left out. That's possible. But it's all these churches are using the same vernacular of family, and yet we live in the, more, the most contentious time, at least in the last 50 years. Church, this could be the answer. We can be the example. Jesus said, by your love for one another, the whole world will know that you are my disciples.